Well, believe it or not, it is nine weeks until kickoff for Michigan State football. So here are nine random thoughts ranging from what are we feeling good about, what are we feeling not good about, and yeah, sure, some kickoff talk too. Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spartan friends, Spartan family, Locked on Spartans listeners, thank you so much for kicking off your day with us here at Locked on Spartans. That's right, your team in green and white, well, three days a week in June and July, and then we will hit it once again five days a week in August. So thank you all to our everyday listeners out there, especially you, Jude Santos. That's right, shout out to our guy Jude, but also, hey, thank you all so much for tuning in, listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel if you ever want to reach out. LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. All right, housekeeping's over. Let's get right into the mix here. And gosh, first and foremost, holy smokes, nine weeks? June's already done? Like, that, that, that cinnamon whiskey will be smelt on the parking lots here any minute now. This summer is flying by. But that's not my first random thought, no. My first random thought for this upcoming season is that no, no. No, it's not a hot seat season for Mel Tucker. It, it is going to be a very telling season. No doubt about that. I, th- there is no question of we're going to get a lot from this upcoming season. But I just want to squash that right off the top. That might be my biggest pet peeve this offseason. Is anyone saying that this is a hot seat season for Mel? And I get it. 5-7 and seven wasn't a lot of fun last year. He did just sign this mega contract worth a lot of money. Okay, that's, that's why it's not a hot seat season. So I just want to get out in front of this right now. And you know what? It's a lot of opposing fans saying this, for example. And that makes sense. I don't claim to know every detail of James Franklin or Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh's contract. But it's the MSU fans that say, oh boy, he could be fired if it doesn't go... Grow up, everyone, okay? That's a, that's a big contract he just got. And also the buyout on that contract is whatever he is owed. So no, they are not going to spend $75 million to let go of Mel Tucker should another 5-7 and seven season happen this year. So let's just get that out of the way. But still, a very telling year. There is a good contingent of people that say, hey, you know what, 2024 is going to be the litmus test of what we can see in Mel Tucker because, well, that means his first recruiting class that wasn't the COVID class, the COVID class that was almost entirely recruited on Zoom, these kids never visited campus, they hardly, if ever, met face-to-face, weird circumstances around that one, we'll give him a mulligan. By tw- uh, if I could talk, by 2024... Okay, they're going to be juniors at this point. So even though his first true class is only true sophomores, you got to start seeing something here. Look, Mel Tucker knew what he had when he walked into that football building right when he touched down in East Lansing. It wasn't just out of boredom that he cut ways with, what, 25 people to the transfer portal right off the bat. Look, the roster was not up to Big Ten standards right off the bat. But it is getting there. Okay, and... By way of what he did in the transfer portal, sending kids into it and taking kids out, this is now a team that shouldn't have talent gaps like we've seen last year. Sure, talent gap against Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Washington. Yes, there's going to be a talent gap against those teams I just named. There should not, under any circumstance, be an excuse for talent gaps, though, against your, your Maryland's, for example, your Indiana's, your Minnesota's, your Nebraska's this year. 
There's going to be a handful of games where Michigan State's talent at this point should be right up to par with each other. And if you're not winning those games, you know, we could start having conversations of if this is really going to work out in the long term. I think that we're going to get a lot from this year. A lot of other people think it's going to be 2024. But yeah, it's it's another big year for Sparty coming up this fall. Now, hey, what am I most excited about this season? This is random thought number two. What am I most excited about? Stop me if you think I'm getting a little ahead of my skis here, but... This might sound crazy if you've watched Michigan State football the last few years, but I, guys, I I truly think this could be a top five defense in the conference. You know, I think that this could be a defense that's in the upper third of the con or of the conference. This is going to be one of the best fronts you will find in the Big Ten with guys like Simeon Barrow, Derek Harmon, Tumisi Adelaide, Chris Bogle, Avery Dunn, Jalen Sami out of Colorado as well. That's just on the defensive line. And also with more depth too, Jarrett Jackson, Dre Butler, Maverick Hansen, Alex Van Sumeren behind those guys. And we all know how important depth is on defense. If you watched even one Michigan State game last year, you know how important that can be. But it's also the linebackers as well that are going to make this front a great run-stopping unit. What are Cal Halliday and Jacoby Winman brilliant at? Stopping the run. That's right. North and south, getting in those lanes and stopping the run. I think that this is going to be a great run-stopping unit. And also, when we talk about the pass defense, which we've talked about a lot for the wrong reasons in the last few years, some of it, not all of it, comes back to the pass rush. Hey, you know what? You know what really doesn't help a cornerback or a safety in pass coverage? Is giving the opposing quarterback about what seems like 30 minutes of time behind the pocket so the receivers can improvise routes. Like, yes, there are some moments that we've seen in years past where the cornerback is not even in the same frame as the receiver catching the ball. That could be offered up to a lack of pass rush. Michigan State, healthy Chris Bogle back. Again, the whole defensive line we just talked about. Plus, hey, if you want to have faith in true freshman Andrew DePate by Job, more power to you. That's, those are two talented kids as well. The pass rush should be a little better. Also, hey, I'm just going to keep leaning on this adage until I'm either proven right or proven wrong, which will be some point at the end of the season. Who remembers the fun Pat Narduzzi days here at Michigan State? Really strong defenses here for our Spartans. It was fun times. Not in his first three years under Mark D'Antonio there. It was average, at best, in those first three years under Pat Narduzzi. The fourth year is really when the system started to get ingrained with all of the players. Hey, would you look at that? It's Scotty Hazleton's fourth year. Sometimes it takes some time, especially when it's that drastic of a change from system, new personnel as well. So I think there is faith in seeing what Scotty Hazleton's unit can do this year. And of course, I'm going to bring up my favorite stat to bring up. 27 different defensive starters last year. No defensive coordinator is going to thrive under those conditions. So I hope that we have health because, hey, that means Michigan State probably going to have their best or their most talented defensive unit on the field in that case, but also get a true read of what Scotty Hazleton is all about. Now, what am I most concerned about? As we are chatting right now in late June, it's it's kicking. It's anything that has to do with a foot touching a ball. Uh, look, we won't even start with field goal units. Let's start with the punting team right here. Bryce Berenger, 
I already miss him dearly. Uh, the best punter in the nation last year uh, was always humming punts in the 50s. Great at downing it inside the 15, the 10 yard lines, and hey, the occasional 70 yard punt as well. I mean, we all loved Bryce Berenger last year. It might take until this year to truly appreciate what he was able to do in flipping the field and being the asset to Michigan State that he was. Now, behind him, one guy on the roster. His name is Ryan Eckley. He had one punt last year for 41 yards, averaged 42.6 in high school. And if you want to take that average, that's in the bottom third of the Big Ten, but I'm not going to put a lot of stock into that. This would be his second year on a college campus with proper coaching, proper uh, you know strength regiments as well. So... Who's to say what Ryan Ackley will look like, but man, massive, massive shoes to fill in the punt game, which is going to be an underrated storyline going into this season. I know that punting isn't the flashiest thing in the world, but I think we're going to learn how important it really was last year. Now, kicking, field goal kicking. It, it, It looked like every single time the unit trotted out to attempt a kick, it looked like the, the Buick field goal challenge between the third and fourth quarter. It was... Guys, it was abysmal last year, but you already know this. So our options this year now, that Ben Patton is out of here and Jack Stone also out of here as well. Steven Rusnak, who in his career, 5 of 6 on point after attempts, a.k.a. extra points, and then 0 for 1 on field goals. I believe that missed field goal was at Purdue. He had the cast on his arm. Weird circumstances for old Steven Rusnak. But also Jonathan Kim, the transfer from North Carolina, powerful leg. Kickoff specialist for the Tar Heels, but he transferred out because he wanted a field goal kicking opportunity. Which is great. That's awesome. Strong leg. Again, we'll talk about him more later this episode, actually. The only problem is his experience, he's made one extra point, and that was two years ago. So, look, a bad kicking room, you saw it last year, changes everything, and not just in the win-loss column. It changes the play calling, right? Like, when it's third and six inside the 25-yard line, Instead of going for a first down, you know, knowing that you have three points in your pocket, you know, go for an aggressive play call, it was almost like they were playing, all right, let's just try to get in fourth and short so maybe we could run the ball, get a first down, and oh yeah, one problem with all that too, Michigan State wasn't great in short yardage running situations either. It was just a total calamity, but kind of all started with the kick game and just the completely unreliable feeling that you had. And not just us, the fans, but the coaching staff as well. We're going to get more into the thoughts here. Hey, we got three down, six to go. But first, need to talk your ear off about FanDuel Sportsbook, the number one sportsbook in the land. Folks, take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. Hey, you know what? It's pretty easy. Just bet 20 bucks, you will land $200 back in bonus bets, win or lose. That's right, that's $200 that you can spend on everything from the money line, the over-under, who's going to hit the first home run, uh, just the money line after five and a half innings, over-under on strikeouts, alternates. They have so many MLB bets, it almost makes my head spin at FanDuel. And it's all on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. And when you win, this is my favorite part of FanDuel, you get paid instantly. You're not waiting around for days at a time, waiting for Mr. FanDuel to pay you. That money is going straight to your account. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. It's FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Now let's get back into my random thoughts here as we are, once again, can't believe it, nine 
weeks away until Spartans versus Chips, Friday night Spartan Stadium. Now, I feel good about the defense. I feel not so good about the kicking. What do I have absolutely no feelings about? Like, what am I just at a total loss? The receiver core. Now, look, I know that maybe I just, on a baseline, shouldn't feel good about the receiver core because, hey, well, everyone wave goodbye to Jaden Akins. He's off to the NFL in the second round. And, oh, hey, you too, Keon. Uh, we'll, we'll see you later. Good luck in Tallahassee, I guess. Uh, and, uh-oh, those are two really talented receivers. However, coming back, one of my favorite players, uh, Mr. Reliable, Trey Mosley, the sure-hand guy, great at those stick routes, underneath routes, all of that good stuff. But there's a lot of other names that we're hearing some good buzz about in the offseason. Guys like Jaron Glover, young kid. Uh, Christian Fitzpatrick, big bodied receiver, six foot four. Didn't play a lot last year because of injury. Tyrell Henry, really shifty guy. I think he'll do great in those underneath routes as well. Antonio Gates Jr. as well. Elante Brown, Montori Foster, which has he has some good starting experience as well. But man, we just have not seen them. By and large, like a lot on the field in actual action outside of like the open spring practice. But I do have an optimism with this group. Now, to the level of like what Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman were, I'm not going to get that ahead of myself. But I think by committee, each of these guys offers something different and something positive, something that's a plus to their game. Where I, I think that we should be feeling okay about the receivers. It's just I battle against the logic of, well, yeah, Reed and Keon are out the door. Like, how good can you really feel about it? So, again, we might have to wait until it's the end of September to have a really good feeling about how we feel about this receiver course. So, stay tuned, man. Stay stay tuned, boys and girls, because uh, there's a lot of question marks going into the season. Besides, like, who's going to start at quarterback? I, I think that's going to be the biggest one. Now, Random thought number five. I'm going to get like philosophical here. Uh, this is what I do when I just stay up at night staring at the ceiling. I've been asking myself, what's the biggest lesson I learned in this offseason? And no, it's not like the transfer portal comes for everyone and anyone. You know, like with Keon and Peyton leaving at midnight of the spring transfer portal window. I, I mean, I kind of already knew that. Right? I mean, it happens all around the country. I mean, Georgia just lost a kid in the portal to USC. Like, even big, powerful SEC schools see kids transfer out for all sorts of reasons. Michigan State has been very lucky lately in guys that have left the program. Not a lot of massive hits. This was the biggest one. It was just our time. But, yeah, this is something that we already know happens in college football. So, excuse me for that not being my lesson. The biggest lesson I've learned... and this was kind of referenced throughout later in the season is that Mel Tucker thinks that all the issues last year were on the talent level of the players. Now I'm not ripping Mel Tucker for that at all. Like he could very well be correct. I mean, let's say that this plays out this year and MSU goes eight and four, something like that, or even in 2024. All right. We're starting to see nine wins with the same coaching staff because it has been fascinating Fascinating to see that no changes were made in the coaching staff in the offseason. Yes, Brandon Jordan left. That was on his own accord to go to the NFL. Marco Coleman, he left as well on his own accord. No coach was asked to leave, though. And I thought that was fascinating because, well, when you're 5-7, and seven, a lot of not-so-great things are happening on the field, and usually that ladders up to the coaches, but... 
Hey, just like I said, he was referencing this at the end of last season, not directly throwing players under the bus by name, but just stating that, yeah, there were a lot of execution errors. Like, I mean, pick a game. Pick a game where it didn't go well for Michigan State. Probably the free space on your bingo card was him saying, yeah, execution errors, which is a very nice, gentleman-like way of saying, we don't got the talent. Uh, the, the, the talent is lacking, and also uh, they're making mistakes on the field. Now, we could have an argument about whether, well, they should be coached to make the right moves. Hey, doesn't matter what I think. I'm not the guy that's the CEO of this college football program. That's Mr. Mel Tucker. And after seeing him get rid of no coaches, and actually, oh yeah, that's right, the only real seismic change he made this offseason was departing with Saeed Khalif, the quote-unquote GM of Michigan State's roster building. Huh. Okay. He thinks it is the talent gap there. And of course, I mean... He could be right. I'm not saying that, oh, he's an idiot just for thinking that he should have fought. Hey, maybe it's going to work out. It's a gamble that Mel Tucker's taking. He is riding with his guys. But, man, if it, if it turns out that, like, special teams are still kind of lousy and they're going to cost us a game or two, whoo, that's, that's going to blow up in the face uh, over here. But I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm at peace now this offseason. Enough time has passed uh, since the Indiana game. I'm, I'm going to allow some time here to see how this unfolds. Folds. Now, thought number six, back on the optimism train. I think it's going to be a night and day run game from last year. I truly do. And, well, you know what? That take is actually uh, not too hot because Michigan State last year did a pretty good job of setting the run game bar on the floor last year. It was, it was not great. By the end of the season, it was looking fine. Jalen Berger, really strong last month for his season, the last month of the season. Average over five yards per carry, and that was even with uh, a quiet game against Penn State because of injury, but I digress. Last year, Michigan State's third lowest in yards per game in the Big Ten at 113. Now, of course, some of that is based on, well, Michigan State was also down a lot in a handful of second halves, so they're trying to air out the ball, so the total yards might be a misleading number, but here's an accurate one. Eighth in the conference at yards per carry. And those short yardage situations I referenced not too long ago, some pretty damning stats that back that up. They were outside the top 100 in the FBS in stuff rate and power success rate. Stuff rate is the percentage of times that, well, you get stuffed behind the line of scrimmage. You're getting negative yards. Michigan State was outside the top 100 for that. And then power success rate, this is any time it's third and two or fourth and two and shorter, and you don't get the first down outside the top 100 in that. Now, why am I so high all of a sudden over just one offseason? Well, it's because who they brought in with the running backs. Nathan Carter. You've heard us talk up and down about this kid all offseason. We also talked with him. Very nice kid. Love that guy. Led the nation in yards after contact last year after four games at UConn. Missed the rest of the season with a shoulder injury, but this guy is explosive with the ball in his hands. He is built with negative 5% body fat. Like This man is a hummer going through the offensive line. Same with big-bodied Jaron Mangum. All right, short yardage specialist at South Florida. He's like six foot three, two thirty, I believe. And yeah, instead of handing the ball to, I, you tried your best, Jerick Fassard, but 
we're, we're going to hand to some serious beef this year. And also, with the offensive line room looking the way they are, we're talking guys like J.D. Duplain, Nick Samak. We're hearing great things about the young guys. Guys that, you know, the common fan might not know about, like Chris Phillips, for example, uh, Gino Vandermark, he will probably be on the starting unit coming up this year. Keyshawn Blackstock, the junior college transfer. Uh, God, I'm missing a, a, a handful more. Dallas Fincher, Kevin Wigginton, of course. There's a lot of depth on the offensive line this year, specifically in the interior. So I think it's going to be a really strong run game for Michigan State. Now, thought number seven here as we get to our last three thoughts. Uh, I... I'm oddly confident in the quarterbacks, and maybe it's just the the air in the room. Like something about that late June air always makes me really optimistic about Michigan State. But like I am confident in the quarterback position now. Like where will they be? Whoever gets the start, Noah Kibber, Caden Hauser, will they be top three in the conference right off the bat? Am I that confident? No, I, I think I'd be lying to you if I thought they'd be like that good. But I just don't think the drop off. Between Peyton Thorne and whoever wins this starting job is going to be that steep of a drop-off. I mean, look, when Peyton Thorne hit the transfer portal, I I think it spoke in volumes. It It was deafening how loud this was. That Michigan State, like, they saw Peyton Thorne leave. Okay, there's an empty locker in the quarterback room. I don't really care to fill it. Like, we're not going to go out and even kick the tires on any other quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Like, if they thought that it was going to be a big drop-off after what they've seen in spring practice between Thorne and either Kim or Hauser, yeah, they would have gone out and at least tried to get a kid on campus for a visit at the very least. But no, they didn't. And from what I've been hearing outside of those spring practices, it was very equal, if not a tick up with Kim from Thorne. A tick up from Hauser from Thorne as well. Of course, I mean, each source can have something different to say, but the ones I trust said that, yeah, like, no, it's actually looking pretty even between these three guys. Um, Look, we know what we have with Noah Kim. Even though we've seen him very sparingly, we know at the baseline he has live legs, right? And I know there's a thin line between having live legs, extending plays, and also, like, bailing out of pockets too early, being a little off schedule with your throwing and your feet beneath you. But I, I think he's on the right side of that line, at least when we've seen him play. He's got a solid arm. Like, he made some of those best throws that we saw all day in that open spring practice. Made some pretty good throws last year in his short times that he did play last year. And also, when he when he was in the game last year, fearless. And I know that's so cliche. That's so outside of a box score. But, man, how many times do you see a backup quarterback come in and just, oh, my God, someone turn off the lights. It's too bright in here. They're just so timid. Not no Kim. He he went out there with the mentality that, you know what, I'm going to ball out here and try to win the starting job right here on this drive. Now, what we have from Kaden Hauser, we've seen him for about six seconds against Akron last year, so we don't know a lot about him, what he will be like on the field. But, man, at a baseline for him, just the physicality. Uh, can you know outlift any other quarterback in that weight room. And, yeah, you might think that sounds ridiculous, but in the run game with those powerful legs... No, that says a lot. He has the strongest arm in the room as well. Now, will he know the offense as well as Noah Kim? Does he have the chemistry with all the receivers? It's going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds, but whoever trots out under center to start the season, I'm 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 just going to have full faith in it. And look, it's not going to be anything political to from the staff. And that's what I really like about this battle as well, because believe me, if politics were playing a role in this, 
it's already Kaden Hauser's job, right? I mean, Noah Kim is a holdover from the D'Antonio days. Like, Kaden Hauser is this staff's pick. They anointed him as the future. So the fact that it is this wide open, it is this neck and neck, and the staff is insane going into summer. Like, yeah, no, it's it's Kaden's. Good job. They're being very honest with themselves about it. They're being very real, not political, which I also like as well. Now, number eight, this is going to be the most random thought out there. Kickoffs will be a game changer this year. We talked not too long ago with Maxwell Klitsky about kickoffs, very briefly. And after that conversation, I left it the rest of my night just thinking about kickoffs. And it, it is the most mundane play in football you probably miss a lot of them because hey it's time to go to the bathroom it's time to get up grab a beer if you're at home it's time to get a melting moments if you're at spartan stadium who needs the kickoff i've been guilty of that many times well here's what you missed last year if you missed a lot of kickoffs 13 touchbacks on the season for michigan state that's second worst in the conference Poor Northwestern had only eight touchbacks all season. That's very hard to do. Now, when you're not kicking touchbacks, that lets the team return the ball. Michigan State had 633 return yards against them last season. That was second worst in the conference. Now, who was worse in the conference? It was Ohio State. They had 700 return yards against them. Now, before you laugh, before you think that we just got a win against Ohio State in some weird stat like that, Hit the pause button really quick because Ohio State almost had double the kickoffs Michigan State had. We almost saw as many return yards in half the kickoff returns that Ohio State saw this season. Now Ohio State's kicking off the ball a lot more because, well, their offense, more games than not, scores, it seems like, every time down the field. But yeah, this is a long way of saying that kickoff returns killed Michigan State. You want to shine an example of that? How about the Indiana game last year? Third quarter, Michigan State's up 17 points. And okay, that lasted about 11 seconds because we just gave up a a kickoff return for a touchdown. And great. Well, it's only a 10-point game against the Hoosiers. How bad can this turn out? Yeah, that's how bad it turned out. Uh, So how are we going to remedy this? It's Jonathan Kim. It is a total, I will scratch your back, you scratch mine, pairing with Jonathan Kim and Michigan State football. Jonathan Kim... He wants to kick field goals. Sure. Got, the bar is beneath the floor for field goal kicking. Come on up. Let's let's give it a shot. How could it go any worse than last year? Now, what does Jonathan Kim bring us? Well, two years ago at North Carolina, 65 of 85 of his kickoffs were touchbacks. That was the highest in the ACC. Last year in his four games, averaged 60, sorry, averaged 62.4 yards per kickoff. 20 Seven touchbacks as well. It's 84%. Yeah, that's going to be important. That is a stark difference from what we saw in Michigan State last season where, hey, we're just going to have maybe one touchback a game. It's going to be open season for all the other return men out there in the Big Ten. And yeah, if you got a guy that could just kick it out of the back of the end zone, don't even have to worry about it. It's great. It's delightful. So, yes, I think this Jonathan Kim thing is incredibly underrated. Maybe we're just going a little too into the weeds here on this offseason talk, but I I really think that this could be a very, very subtle change that's going to make a big difference for Michigan State this upcoming season. And thought number nine, you know what? We opened up the mailbag not too long ago on Twitter, Sheehan underscore sports. Also, hey, feel free to send them over at LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com, and this sets up a brilliant brilliant bow to this episode with this question from gray state fan 
what will you consider a successful season in football this year? I want everyone to work with me here, okay? I know that there are a lot of optimistic fans. I know that there are fans that like the big numbers, you know? I, I, I've heard some fans say, it has to be at least 8-4 and four, or I'm out on Mel Tucker. And I, guys, I, I want to I try to reason with you here. It, it's a very hard schedule coming up this year. It is one of the top five hardest schedules in the nation coming up for Michigan State. A Michigan State team that just went 5-7 and seven last year. A Michigan State team that is breaking in a new quarterback with a new receiving core. With an unproven secondary on the other side of that field. I know we highlighted a lot of optimistic points. Coming off a 5-7 and seven season, there could be some lingering negative points as well. So with that said, FanDuel tells us that the over-under is 5.5. They expect Michigan State to go 5-7 and seven this year. I think success, for me, would be 7-5. and five. All right? 7-5. and five. I know it's not a flashy number. That, that is a number that lacks some serious sex appeal. I mean, more times than not. And look, maybe by the end of the year, I'm going to look at 7-5 and five and be like, Ugh. well, at least we're in the guaranteed rate bowl. But man, I, just from a large, zoomed-out perspective of this, look... We talked about at the start of the show. Mel Tucker's true first class. They're still true sophomores. All right, it's going to be a young team, an unproven team against a hard schedule. So 7-5, and five, let's call it wins over CMU, Richmond, Rutgers, Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, and U of M, or swap U of M for Ohio State or Washington or maybe even Penn State, any of those four, if you like win one of those four big games, and then you sweep the rest of CMU, Richmond, Rutgers, Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, which you probably should win all those games, I think that's going to be the successful season. Now, can I be talked into 6-6 if it's like against Central, Richmond, Rutgers, Maryland, and then you win two of the big four games, like you beat Michigan at home and you beat Penn State? Sure. I mean, that that means that you're losing an underwhelming game against Nebraska, probably, or Minnesota, but... At least, you know, unlike last year where you're getting absolutely pile-drived against those really good teams, you're actually beating two of them, so you do have random flashes of greatness in there. I guess I could be talked into 6-6 six and six as well, but yes, it just has to be a bowl game. 7-5 if it's where it's at. 6-6 six and six if you want some wonky things in there. But yeah, there, here we go, guys. Nine random thoughts. You know that we're going to have a lot more thoughts leading off to kickoff. B back on Monday. Hey, this weekend, we got some commitments coming up. Maybe they're to Michigan State. Maybe they're not. Tremar Harris, wide receiver. He will be announcing his commitment on Friday. And then over the weekend, Justin Denson, safety out of Rhode Island. He will be picking between the Spartans, Oklahoma. I think Alabama's on his list. Florida. We could have two commits. We could have zero. Stay tuned, though. And also, our guy Chase Glasser of Spartans Illustrated joining us as well on Monday. We're going to send you in the 4th of July on a hot note. But until then, enjoy your weekend. Love you all. Go Green.